welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. April 2nd, 2002, episode 208, a lesson on dead outs. If I had a soundbite of a tricorder in use, I would play it right now before I say, he's dead, Jim. I cannot help but conjure up that phrase every time I stand in front of a hive that did not overwinter. As you might guess by that opening, this show is going to be about dead things, or more to the point, it will be more like training you in the art of crime scene investigation. Now, CSI might be a little dramatic as well. Colony dying off is just part of nature. But, you know, there's times when a colony under our stewardship perishes for the reasons that we might have had a hand in it. Or we could have prevented it with the right care. What's going to follow in this episode is a hypothetical roof-to-floor look at a hive that perishes And like CSI, we will explore how to examine the situation with hopes of learning how to uncover why a colony perishes. This, as you might have gathered, is a single one-topic bonus episode on the ins and outs of doing a hive autopsy. And what say we get started? I'm planning to take an approach, as the title suggests, from discovery to recovery in the process from taking action to being recovered. If we consider the steps, it looks a little something like this. Number one, is the hive dead, making the determination. Number two, milestone, the hive is dead, execute the recovery process. Number three, planning the event, the autopsy and the steps to go do the job. Number four, considering the time of death. Number five, things to look for. Number six, the autopsy from roof to the bottom board, going through all the parts. Number seven, evaluating the findings, making a determination or a hypothesis. Number eight, the recovery. And then number nine will be any odds and ends about the process and anything else that conjures up to share uh, to finish things out. I have to say, in truly assessing what went wrong, it's probably Varroa mites. This is a Kevin moment. As I prepare to go down the rabbit hole here on a lesson for dead out inspections, a thought came to mind about the benefits of trying to learn something from a hive that is obviously dead. In this day and age where Varroa mite is public enemy number one, I'll admit two things. The truth is your hive probably was impacted or outright died due to some Varroa related problem. There are times when bees starve or other things happen, but universally, especially these days, it could almost always be traced back to Varroa mites. The second thing to put out there is along the lines of, yeah, this is a bit smarmy. Good luck with that. This is a frustration for me personally. For all that I know about forensics after a dead out inspection, most times, I will admit, I truly just don't know definitively. And that's the operative word definitively what killed the bees sometimes no amount of sleuthing will give you what you need to know it's more like speculation in the end and then a cause of death certificate is signed by the coroner even after the assessment i'm afraid to say it's likely you may not know what killed the bees sometimes beekeepers consider these dynamics and simply just clean things up and move along they don't even bother doing an autopsy 
depending on what's going on in any given year, I have to say, I've done that for a couple hives. Just clean up the mess, move along citizens. Still, if I have the time, and I do try to make the time each spring to put in an earnest effort to look, it's the least thing you should do as a responsible beekeeper. And as you'll note later in this episode, I am going to do a local hive report. I learned something invaluable this year. And it's going to change the way I keep my bees going forward for a certain situation. Had I not done a detailed inspection, I might not have known what I learned. And it sure would be terrible to repeat it next winter. End of Kevin moment. And back to the first item on our outline, timing of colony demise. One of the first fundamental questions is, is the hive dead? Let's put ourselves coming out of winter and ask that question. And this topic is about the inability to detect death in winter. It's not uncommon to wonder during the winter if a hive is alive. Unless you take specific measures to discover life, it's hard to tell if a colony is alive or dead. This becomes a factor in our CSI for looking at dead outs because early death is a clue as to what happened and also what will happen to the carcasses of the bees. There are certain reasons that a hive dies early, but if you did not know the hive died early and only discovered it in the spring warm-up, then you may not have the clues to tell the tale. More on this a little bit later. The other thing to consider when trying to discern the time of death is that bees die early and then go through the winter with its cold and occasional warm days. It plays a role in what you will find when inspecting later on. Let me take that a little bit further. The decay rate of the bees is an input to a dead out inspection. If the bees died in early December and they were there until March, they have more time to decompose on those days when the cold is not preserving them. They also are in a factor of being in a dry winter environment. The upside is the freezing weather will kill off any varroa mites that were on the bees. They die too. And the cold will also kill off some of the pathogens that would be there that you might have, say, if the hive died yesterday and you were looking at a fresh kill. On the other side is the moisture problems when there's a lack of bees to control what goes on inside that hive compartment. Dead bees could, on moist days of early spring, retain moisture and spoil on the warmer days as they decay. The takeaway here is to know that bees die early, add more math to the equation when you're doing your work on those first warm days of March trying to figure out what happened. Coming back to that aside a moment ago, a colony that dies in December, as we just said, is subject to environmental factors between that day and your inspection when it's happening. It's environmental factors and other things that are going on. On the flip side, a recently passed colony, one that just died it's going to present differently. Maybe it'll still be a small cluster and frozen in time. They'll look like they're sleeping. Maybe they look like they're dormant, but they're actually dead. That's more often the case. But if I think back to a specific example to illustrate where I'm going with this, I had a colony that per perished one year earlier in the winter. During the course of the winter, 
a warm stretch occurred in January. Somewhere, some sort of parasite, let me describe it as a super small mite like the size of a pinhead, got into the colony and consumed the interiors of all the deceased bees. I've never seen that before or since, but when I inspected the colony, all of the bees presented as delicate, empty shells. It's almost like that technique where you poke a hole in an egg and blow out the contents. They were simply just fragile exoskeletons, and if you pushed on the bees, they just shattered and disintegrated into dry dust fragments. It's the weirdest thing, and to this day, I don't know what to make of it. But the takeaway here is time of death is a consideration, especially if the the bees died months back. They can be subject to all kinds of impacts, and knowing when they really did die, cease to operate, is kind of an important clue when you're taking notes and observations during a dead-out inspection. Back to the is the hive dead question. Fooled by robbing, one of the first things foragers do on a warm day after a cleansing flight is do a lay of the land. And of course, they're going to expect what's inspect what is right next to them and peek in on any nearby resources. Adventurous bees are going to exploit opportunistic robbing and sneak into neighboring hives and raid resources if they go unchallenged. Obviously, a dead hive is not going to challenge anything. As a beekeeper, this sometimes presents as a normal entry of season flight, early season flight. And along with you, I too have been fooled by what this looks like because it's normal comings and goings. I guess if you stand there and look, you could look for the presence of guard bees. But this isn't a time of year where you're seeing pollen come in. You're just seeing bees come and go. And it looks the same whether the hive is alive or dead. Now, when it comes to detecting death, there are a number of tried and true methods for determining if a hive is alive. And one of the first pieces of evidence you can collect is to check your hives periodically after closing them up in the fall and see if they're still alive. As I said a moment ago, records for that can be helpful when considering the forensics that present. Now, you get to the point where you figured it out. Hive is dead. That's a milestone. And now you need to execute the recovery process. McCoy has just told Kirk the patient is dead. What do you do about that is somewhat predicated on your take about how to deal with such matters. The initial steps versus the mitigation event. Let's assume you find a dead hive. Your first actions are kind of personal preference, but I would suggest there's one thing you should act upon. Whether it's early December or a week before the nectar flow, anytime there's a dead colony discovered, close off the hive. Prevent other bees from getting in until you've had a chance to take a look-see. By my way of thinking, what you do as a beekeeper is predicated on the number of hives you have that didn't make it through. If it's one hive, you just go through that in regular course. If you have multiple hives, then you might want to plan the event. I always say plan the work, work the plan. Uh, That takes me to the next point in this topic, which is planning the work. Let's go through pre-planning and autopsy. In order to put the equipment back into service, you can imagine there's a bunch of different maintenance activities that you're going to do. Obvious one is to clean up the dead bees. During the course of the runout, you will... If you prescribe to my way of thinking, scrape off errant comb and propolis, and you'll need something to collect that in. 
the remnants of the deceased bees, you'll need something to both collect the excess bees and if you follow the recommendation, have something where you could set aside a number of bees to do a sample with. More on that later. Uh, make a list and get prepared for that. And as I go through this, it'll give you some sense of things you need to put in your kit when you're going out to do an autopsy. Along with the physical things you're going to prep to go out and do your inspection, think about the mental things that you want to anticipate to see and how you're going to record that. Um, even go as far as a dead out inspection sheet if you're going to be that way. In no particular order and certainly not comprehensive. When you find dead bees, what do they look like? Are there signs of illness? Where are the dead bees located within the dead out? What, what is the quantity of them? What are the remaining food stores or resources? Is there any problem with the living space that they were occupying? Is there any signs of a pest infestation? And what does any of the vestiges of brood pattern look like? Those are just a couple things. And as we go through the top to bottom look, we'll probably mention a bunch more. But it's just to give you the mindset that going in, you should be thinking like a CSI and be considering what things you'd be looking for that could have contributed to the colony's demise. So forgive me, I know we want to get into the actual thing, but there's two more perspectives that I want to talk about, and they entail from the whole process. Uh, so I want to get these out of the way. The first one is wide, then tight. Before going in, there's this perspective to consider. And again, this is a mindset you want to do before you take the roof off. Like a crime scene investigator, you're going to want to scan the scene and look to the details. When you take the roof off, you're going to take in the scene of the top bars and the frames. When you pull the frame, you're going to look at the whole surface of the frame. You're going to take inventory of the whole face and the comb conditions and how it's laid out. You're looking at it holistically. Think about the operations of the hive and how they work overall as a system and judge how it was working, that kind of thing. Then at some point, after you've absorbed the wide view of the apiary, the wide view of the box when you're going in, the wide view of looking at the face, then you'll go down to the cells. What's in them? What's the quality of each cell's construction in the wax? Is something normal or is it something off? Look at the bees, individual bees. How do they look? Is it normal? Uh, given the circumstances at off. The key here is each time you go a layer deeper, you're going to be assessing things at the wide view first and then go down into the focus view, taking in the facts, the evidence, and making notes along the way. If you say, boy, that seems rather obvious. I, I typically see new folks who've never done one forget to look at the wide view. They always go right into the bees, look at them, say there's not really that much to see here, and they're left kind of wanting as to the clues that could have led them to what happened if they took a wider view. And sometimes, well, yep, the wider view is the one that actually tells you the story. The last thing to talk about before going into the actual hive is looking at the bees. One thing I want to tell you to do is have a mindset to look at the bees both from afar, up close, and the situation that they're in. Now, we talked earlier about hives when they die. Do they die early in the season or did they just perish in the last cold snap? The premise of that is it might impact what the bees look like. 
but a typical hive that dies late in the winter will show you a small cluster somewhere on the upper box in the frames and you'll see dead bees sprinkled throughout the colony. You'll look for them on the inner cover maybe. You'll find them on the top bars of the top box. You'll find more of them on the top bars of the bottom box. You'll find dead bees down on the bottom board. But more than likely, the colony was living in some sort of cluster and you're going to find them frozen in time between the seams. What I want you to think about here is what do the actual bees look like? Fresh kill bees, ones that died late in the winter, tend to look like they're sleeping. They might be a little shrunken from desiccation or drying out, but for the most part they look intact. Now you could look at a bee and tell whether it's a fairly younger bee or one that's really old that was overwintering and probably would have perished early. One sign of varroa disease is that Bees' uh, age varies, and they tend to go into winter with older bees. If you look at a bee, and it has that downy yellow surface and alternate stripes, yellow and black, like a, you would think, hair on the thorax right behind the head, and you know, generally looks healthy, the wings are not tattered, that's a fairly healthy bee. The opposite side of an older bee is one that is somewhat hairless, maybe looks black in the abdomen, doesn't have a lot of hair on the thorax, has tattered wings and such. At some point when you look at the bees, look at how they're dispersed, look how they look on the cluster, and actually pull them off of the cluster and put them in your hand, look at each individual bee to see if you can get a sense of what the colony population was when it perished. Now, when you're looking at a cluster of bees, you're looking at a couple things. How big is the cluster? Where does the cluster reside? And when you pull the cluster off, what was underneath it? There's another thing about bees that you're going to see in some colonies where they're head into the cell with their tails sticking out. And it might be the size of a tennis ball or it could be a full frame. That is almost universally a sign of starvation. And if you find that you have lots of bees in the cell, frozen in time, and no food around them, you almost want to chalk that up to starvation. Now, I hate to say any absolutes, but that's a, a pretty universal thought process, is bees in the cells, frozen in time, have something to do with starvation. Now, when you pull the bees off the clusters, know that they cling together where their hairs intertwine, their legs are touched together, and sometimes when they dry out and then ooze and then dry out again, you know, bees are filled with fluid. The fluid gets all over the bees and then it dries. It makes kind of a gluey thing. And when you pull them apart, it's almost like they're Velcroed together in that clump. You could separate the separate bees out and look at them individually in your hand. And you could even turn them over and look for varroa mites on the bottom if you're so inclined. Do know that since they're probably going to dry out when they die... They will shrink some. In fact, if you find a queen, she's going to be smaller than usual. And to the queen, when you're looking for the bees, look for the queen. If she's marked, a lot of times she'll find her right in the center of that cluster to the outside. But sometimes you have to pull a couple bees off in that. So all of this to say, as you start from the roof to the bottom board, you have to look at the bees. 
You have to look at where they're located. You have to look at the physical bee appearance and you have to look at the situation in which they were arranged when they perished and what they look like and how they present when you go in. It's time to start the necropsy and as much as I say roof to bottom board, the first part starts with the apiary. It deserves saying that some problems are really not about colony death and more about something that's going on in the apiary. I'll give you a stupid example is if a bear comes in and wipes it out, you don't need to do a hive autopsy. But there are times when your apiary contributes to the situation. Our bees used to sit in the woods at the base of a hill where the cool air came and collected. It was just the way we had our property set up. I've since moved our bees, but that could contribute, as you might imagine, to damp, wet conditions that are not conducive for overwintering. Uh, you know, it's time to reflect on big picture things. Is there something about the apiary that's deficient? And if so, you should make a note of it because if it nudges at you, then you're gonna need to make a change. The next piece when standing in the apiary is walking up to the hive and inspect the front entrance. There's a specific sign I want you to look for, which is dead bees present on the landing board. The first thing to observe are, are there dead bees there? Dead bees physically on the landing board are usually there because undertaker bees have taken them out and left them there. If they are there since your last visit and you know the hive was alive not too long ago, I, wait, first I have to say this little tip. I come out all winter long and check my colonies. And every time I look at them, one of the ways I know that they're alive, if they've had a warmish day, a flight day where they can go do cleansing flights, is the undertakers will start to bring out some of the dead bees. Usually, because it's so cold, they only get to the front entrance. You might find out in front of your hive, say if it snows or whatever, some dead bees have been flown away, but universally there's always dead bees on the entrance. I walk around the colonies during winter and look to see, and that to me is a sign that the hive is alive. It's not foolproof, it's not universal, but it's a good little tip. Now the key is, every time I see that, I clean the dead bees off the entrance. Now if I get to a period where there's a warm flying period in early spring and I go out and I look at all the colonies and I don't see any dead bees on the entrance, I get a little concerned because the undertakers are not doing a job and either that colony is too small that they don't have any under acre undertakers or the colony is dead. So the presence of bees also look at what's the status of the entrance reducer. Presumably in winter you have one, it's close to the smallest entrance. I always peek in the hole to see if it's blocked. I take an implement and I probe in that hole to see if dead bees have stacked in the hole and blocked the entrance in any way. Bees need fresh air and if you find the entrance reducer plugged when you come to do a necropsy, uh, autopsy, sorry, that's an important finding, so don't skip that part. Start with the entrance of the hive. Well, it's finally time. Make your way to the back of the hive and pull off the roof. Look on the underside of the roof for any evidence of problems. Here you're looking for pests like spiders, moisture problems, anything else that is not quite right. Uh, it's very rare that anything sitting underneath the roof or on the inner cover had something to do with the demise of the bees, but certainly you're going to have to take note of that. 
set the roof down off to the side and inspect your inner cover like the roof note if there's anything there you should not be seeing if you fed the bees is there still food present on the inner cover and how much of it did they eat and what happened to it make some notes on that any evidence of moisture collected dampness water stains in some cases i have physically seen puddles on the top side of a bottom board and even ice once that was running with a quilt board which obviously was not working as designed and i'm not using quilt boards anymore make an observation if there are any dead bees residing on the inner cover every once in a while you're going to find a stray bee here and there and give them a quick look see to note if they had any problems you know what they look like after you've taken in what the top looks like, you can use your hive tool to pry it off. Uh, obviously, the inner cover should be propolized to the top of the hive. If it's not, then that should be a note you would make. Uh, what does the underside look like? The top, uh, like the top, there should be no problems with moisture present. Now with the inner cover set aside, we're going to dive into the top box. With the inner cover off, Take a look at the top bars of the top box. What do you see? You're going to look for the presence of dead bees on the tops of the bars. And you're going to look down into the seams to see if you see any deceased bees. If so, make notes as to where they are. This is a good time to say, if you have your cell phone handy, you got to take some snapshots before you disturb anything. Again, look wide and then go into deep. Many things happen in the moment and later when you have a chance to take a look, study the photos of the review, you might spot something that you've missed. Unlike when the hive is active, again, when they're dead, speed is not important. So learn to be CSI, take it all in. The bees in the seams, this is a crucial step getting a peek at the bees in the comb. And we have to take a moment to discuss the assertion that you will see bees in the seams. That presumes that the bees are at the top of the hive. It's almost a universal thing that if bees in the fall will be in the colony and likely in a bottom of a too deep box, as the winter moves on, they consume what is to the left and to the right of them. Then once the stores in the bottom box are depleted, they typically move up into the honey stores above them. Given most bees make it into the cold months of winter, if the colony did not make it through for some reason, you might actually find them in the bottom box, but most of the time they will have moved their way up to the top box. If the colony has a forethought to store pollen upstairs, you could find some pollen in that top box but i would say it's rather uncommon for there to be a large cache of pollen up in the top frames especially as the winter wears on and this is by the way a good consideration for feeding pollen in the fall as it would likely benefit any colony that could find some pollen stores distributed in the top box when winter wears on what I mean by that is you could feed them late in the fall or you could move some pollen purposely upstairs so that when they move up, if they're in that top box, they can move to the side and find some pollen for protein to raise brood early on. But we're talking about dead outs. So the thing you want to do before you start cracking into the top box, the bees are in the seams. If you listen to this program for any appreciable time, you know that 
I like to work the hives from the back left side. That's my personal preference. Top boxes, T is in Tom. Bottom boxes, B is in Bob. That means T1, also known as the first frame in the top box on the dominant side, will be where I typically start. Upon inspection, though, when looking at bees in the seam, I may not start at T1. If for whatever reason the cluster located itself on that side, then I might go over to the far side and pull T9 or T10. The point is, I want to pull the frames away from where the bees are in the seams. I want to leave the bees in the seams to be the last place I get to. That way I don't disturb any of the evidence. I'm going to work my way to the seam or seams with bees making notes of the conditions as I go frame by frame. I'm recording what was on the frame, what condition the comb was in, and any other observations as I move to the seam of interest. Now when I get to the seam, I like to do it this way. You have to open the frames like a book. If the bees are between two frames, I want to open it by pulling both of the frames up at the same time. So I'll pull a couple frames, the other frames out, and then I'll slide the two frames with the bees in the seams into that gap. And then I'm going to pull those two top bars out together. I'm going to turn them over so the top is down now on the top bars. I've inverted it. And yes, some bees may fall out of it, but I'm going to open the bottom up and I'm going to keep the two top bars pinned together and open it like a book. Did that make sense? Really what I want to do is I've turned the frames over and I don't want the bees to fall out. If I open the tops and left the bottom together, it would separate them left and right and the bees would fall all over the place. Here I'm trying to keep them together. I hope that made sense. And yeah, some bees will fall through, but as I said before, they tend to stick to the comb. So usually when you pull them apart that way, they stay there. Now what you have is two frames opened up top bar to top bar laying in front of you and you can inspect the cluster that was left between the seams. That was the whole objective. Now this is where I come back to what I said before about how to look at the bees. You're looking at the size of the cluster. You're looking at the quality of the bees. You're looking to see if they're decayed, if something got to them. You're looking to see if the queen is present. All those things we talked about before, you're either going to find them here in the top box or you're going to find them down below. You're looking for bees in the cells and you're doing that forensic thing where you prepped your mind to be able to inspect the bees and now you have them open for display. You can, as you're picking through these, remember, collect the dead bees and put them in a container to sample at minimum, any dead bees that fall off, especially as they fall through, eventually you want to collect them in a container and take them away from the apiary. So this is the time, most important time, to do a real good detailed look at all the bees that you're going to find in this location. Now, sometimes when you look, you might find, find seams, uh, plural. In that case, I usually bring out four frames. 
three frames, whatever it may be. And I try to split them open so that I can look in between. And I'm trying to get a sense of how big the cluster was at that time. And again, I'm looking for any disease and anything like that. Now, before we clear the top box, we have to assess everything that was going on in there. Uh, from brood rearing to the resources and so on. So let's take a pause and go back to some details about things we're going to look for in the frames themselves once we finished with the bee. Now it is possible that they were rearing brood up here before they met their demise. So the first thing you want to do is look at any of the brood rearing patterns that were going on. Abandoned cap brood. Sometimes you'll find brood that is still capped and then it's open in the center. That means the cluster was so cold that it had to contract and it left some of the bees that were underway. Abandon them. Um, that is common when you have a larger cluster and a long spring cold snap comes through and the bees contract and they have to abandon what's there. You might also find workers trying to emerge from those cells. They've been entombed, most of them never make it out, but every once in a while you find some that start to chew their way through. One of the things about that, a lot of times when a bee is chewing its way out, most of the time it does it by itself, but every once in a while a worker will come by and help chew through the capping. Sometimes the emerging bees can't chew through that capping and they get stuck. When they're sitting there, they're starving, and you'll find them with their tongues sticking out. That is a very common thing to find in a brood area that, you know, you'll find in a dead out. They never finish their jury. It's a, it's a sad thing to see. Uh, there is this thing that most of us know is when you find bees that are dead with their tongue sticking out, it is sometimes a side of pesticide poison. I don't think that's what's going on here. I've never considered the fact that bees that are dead with their tongues sticking out got subjected to pesticides there. I think it's their final throes of starvation saying, please feed me. And I know it's awful to think about that. The other thing about the cappings that you might find is they might have pinhole pricks in them. As to the pinpricks, that's often a sign of hygiene where the bees detected a problem in the cap cell and a bee comes by and chews a hole in the capping to mark it. Now, one of the things about hygiene is one bee marks it, the other one comes and takes it out. But if the colony succumbed to winter or whatever the problem was and the other bee never got there to finish the job, you're going to find that a colony laden with problems will have capped brood with pinhole pricks all throughout. If you see a lot of holes in what remains in the capped cells, it may be that you had a mite infestation. Now, we've moved from look at the bees to look at the uh, brood factory, so to speak, the cappings. Another thing is, even though the bees have perished they were maintaining proper brood right till the end. It should have that normal brown paper bag style appearance. If they look different than normal, then you have to think about the reasons this could be off. 
Now, we've already talked about the freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw, bees died early, that kind of impact. But sometimes something was moist and damp for some reason, and that would make the comb look wrong. What should be the case if it was a recent kill is it should not look sunken. It should not have a greasy appearance. It should look proper. That's different from it got wet for some reason and you kind of have to make that delineation. But if you have greasy sunken frames, you really should consider just on the periphery if it was American foul brood because that is a sign of that malady. Now, before I talk about this policy, I have to say, at least in the Mid-Atlantic region, as far as I know, and I could talk specifically around New Jersey, AFB is really rare these days. And I don't think you're gonna find that as most beekeepers never see it in their lifetime. And there's too much to explain here if you don't know how this works. And AFB that sits for a long period of time is not going to present the same way where you put the stick in and you do the rope test. The better way to do that type of test is order a kit and do a chemical test. But if you suspect and you just don't know, phone a friend. Phone somebody who has the know-how to come and do that assessment. You certainly, this is not the hive you want to put back into service if it had an American Foulbrood problem. At minimum, you could call your state apiarist. They will come out and inspect if you suspect you have American Foulbrood. And yes, you want to isolate this hive from everything else. You want to remove it from the apiary. You want to break it down and seal it up. You do not want this out into the landscape at all. This is one of the primary reasons why as soon as you discover a dead out, if you're not going to go through it, you need to close it up because you do not want to impact the neighborhood and your other bees. Take a look for evidence of mites that were in the cells. Now I'm going to change and say now you're starting to look at the comb. One of the key indicators is frass. Frass is the leftover deposits from when bees and mites exist in the cell and my understanding of this is when the mites pee, their excrement, it forms a white substance that looks a little bit like sprinkled table salt or kosher salt. If you hold a frame in front of you and you hold it where the sun is to your back and you tilt the top bar away so that you're looking at the roof of the cell, you will see little white spots deposited in there. That's not wax. It's deposits left from mites. Everybody should look at every single hive that's a dead out and determine whether or not there's mite frass in there. It's very easy to see once you understand what it looks like. And if you see large deposits of frass, it is highly likely that you had a massive mite problems. Even a moderate one will tell you you had a mite problem. You'll go through every single frame, especially where there was brood, and look for that indicator. And almost universally, uh, that, that is something that you're going to see in hives that perish that had a mite issue. While making a wide scan of the frame inventory, make note of the resources that are in there. 
Make notes about any pollen reserves found, the quantity, and if you can assess its age. The other thing you might find is dried sugar in the cells from your feeding the bees. This is sugar that was stored as sugar water, but the bees never processed it. It's a sign and a problem for bees when they don't get to process this and it stays wet into the winter months. Now, you think about winter, it's typically a little bit drier. And so the water dries out, but you find crystallized sugar in the colony. You could put those back in service and the bees will clean those out and actually consume the sugar. They'll find water in the environment and bring it in and deconstruct the sugar with the water and make it feed. So don't worry about those frames. They're actually quite fine to put back into service with dried sugar crystals in the cell. Now that's different than obviously the mite frass. Now there's one other thing that you'll find across these frames sometimes depending on timing. If you looked and you found capped honey, remark how much there is on both sides, usually fully capped. But every once in a while, if the other bees got into this colony, you didn't have it closed off, then they're going to rob it. And you're going to find wax flakes deposited all over the place. Typically, you'll find it underneath on the top bars and down on the bottom board. But you'll also find it scattered like somebody sprinkled snow on the face of the comb. And you'll see torn marks. When they're robbing the hive, they're not very clean and judicious. They just rip and tear. So you can look for signs of robbing and wax. Last thing on the combs. What's the age of the comb? Uh, you may or may not have the ability to understand how old the comb is mark whether it's plastic or foundation. I have written on my frames the year that I put the foundation in service with a Sharpie. It's evident to me, obviously, how long that frame's foundation has been in service. If the foundation is three plus years old, I'm likely to make notes to move it out for recycling. So look for old comb. You could look at old dark mahogany comb with little tiny cells. You should get rid of that stuff. It's harboring bad things. And you're also looking for malformed comb. Stuff that was built wonky. It's drone brood comb. Things like that. So the top bar frames. Yeah, there's a lot to look at. This is the house. And you're inspecting every room, so to speak. And you need to be diligent about taking inventory. In the end, you're going to step back, wide view, and look at any of that and say, did it have any impact on why the bees died? Uh, you know, there's one thing I didn't mention, and that is uh, torn down capped queen cells or any of that stuff. I, I don't know in winter whether you should be looking for that and whether you can make any assessment of that. But it is possible that maybe they requeen late and something happened. And I suppose that it does make sense to just say that out loud. Uh, it would likely be very rare, but it is something you could potentially see. Now we're done with the top box. We're going to move to the bottom box. It's almost rinse, lather, repeat, although you should expect a different condition. Uh, highly likely that if you found bees in the top, you're going to find nothing in the bottom but just comb. Pull that top box off. 
Give a peek at the bottom of the frames while you have it tilted up and then set it aside on the top cover. Take a look across the top bars of the bottom box and then go th through the frames systematically. Again, this is where I would expect you would see vestiges of the late fall brood. I'm not sure why this is, but there's almost always this little patch of spotty brood that happened at the late end of fall that they worked on and kind of left abandoned. I almost always find some source of old scabby brood down in the bottom box and they've walked away from it. I, you know, it's, it's hit and miss. Sometimes you'll find it, sometimes you don't. One of the more important things I'm looking for down here, is there any leftover resources? Are the comb uh, quality, is the comb quality good in all of these frames? I'll get more to that, but just same thing. And here you can go B1 through B10 and look at all the frames. Just make note of all the inventory. Make sure you're looking for frass down there. And one thing I am going to say that you should look for down there is pollen. And specifically, you're looking at the quality of the pollen. Is it last season's pollen or is it pollen that's been carried through for a couple seasons? Sometimes different colonies behave differently that way. I will find colonies that Put fresh pollen and get rid of the old stuff all the time and other ones carry it for a couple seasons. More specifically what I'm looking for is pull out the pollen frame and look across it. Are there any entombed pollen cells? To explain that, every once in a while the bees detect something wrong with bee bread or pollen stored in a cell. They don't like it and they'll cap it off with wax. I've found colonies that have bee bread with six, eight, 10 cells covered in a full side of a frame. I immediately take that out, cut that entire wax comb out of that frame and get rid of it. If they don't like the pollen and have capped it off, I don't know why I would want to keep it in the hive and recycle it. Now, by my way of thinking, if that pollen is relatively fresh, yes, you could save it. But chances are a new colony in the spring is going to go out and find some fresh, really good pollen. And there's even recommendation for researchers that you should not recycle pollen from dead outs. You should let them go find their own. Now, I would like to say that pollen that the bees stored from last year that was kept fresh by frozen winter would probably be better than pollen that you would feed them in, a, in the form of a pollen patty because it was real pollen. So if I had my druthers, I would save a couple of those and if I needed to start a nuke and give them some pollen and they had zero, none, I might give them one of those frames. But again, I'm looking at the quality of the pollen and if there's any suspect pollen, I'm not going to use it. Now we've covered a lot of ground on all the things you could look for, but there's one special thing in the bottom box that you'll find and it will be entry of a pest, specifically mice. If something was wrong and a mouse got into your hive, chances are it's going to take residence down there in that bottom box. I had a nuke box this winter that didn't make it through and there was a family of mice in there. And when I pulled the box apart, the mice fell out of the entrance. And there was a clump, obviously, of different things they had collected to make their nest. 
they were in a six frame polystyrene nuke. They were, I guess, somewhere in the winter time when I looked at the hive and realized it was dead. I messed around with it and I knocked the entrance off, the entrance reducer, never realizing it. So the entrance reducer was off. Well, it made a perfect home in late winter for the mice and they moved in. It's a six frame poly. They were in three, four, five, and six. They had come in under, got up in between the frames and chewed a hole in the bottom and made a nest that was the size of a softball. When I picked the boxes up to move them and do this cleanup, you know, like I said, they fell out and they were physically in the nest. They scurried off and I have now big holes in my comb. If you take that comb and you put it back into a new colony in the spring, chances are the bees will patch the hole, but they like to build drone brood in that hole. They're probably not going to build proper, you know, uh, a worker comb in there. So just keep that in mind. I typically, if I have something that has a hole in it, I cut that entire frame out and discard the wax I discard the wax. I don't try to re-render it and melt it and do whatever. And here's why. A lot of times when they're in there, they pee in there. And you could smell that odor of uh, a nest. Unlike you would think, they, they do pee in the nest. And your box will smell like pee. So I would take a woodenware box and put it out in the sun. And leave it in the open to air out and dry out. I don't know if you put... Uh, a box that harbored mice into an apiary, whether bees would reject that. I suspect in time it'll air out, dry out, and they'll get over it. And if they don't like what's there, they can cover it with propolis. But, you know, you have to make signs of a mice. Now, did the mice move in while the bees were still there? Or did the mice move in after the bees died? A lot of times you could look at the signs of it and figure that out. But obviously, if the mice moved in while the bees were there, then you did something wrong. We're doing from the roof to the bottom board, so that means we have to get to the bottom board at some point. And here we are. You're going to take that top box or the bottom box and set it over the top box. And now you're going to look at your bottom board. What are you likely to find there? You're going to find a mess. Almost universally in a hive that had a decent number of bees going into winter the majority of the dead bees will be found on the bottom board in some respects they could be several inches thick depending on how many bees you had but most of the time they're down there they're damp they're wet they're yucky and here you want to look at where did they fall were they in between were they covering the entire bottom were they stuck up in against the uh, entrance reducer, the mouse guard, and clogging the entrance. When you want to take a sample, and now's the time to talk about that, and determine whether you had a mite problem, it doesn't matter whether the bees are alive or whether the bees are dead, you can still sample them for mites. And in this case, the benefit is they're dead already, so you're not going to kill bees, which a lot of people don't like to do. You're not going to get nurse bees in the way that you would if you took a frame of foundation or a frame of comb out where the uh, brood was being reared. But you can get a representative sample. 
almost universally when I ask beekeepers to inspect their dead outs and tell them to do a mite wash, they wash the bees in the typical way, collect a half cup of bees in alcohol, shake them, wash them down. They find lots of mites. If you really, really want to know whether your colony perished from mites, there is no better thing to do than to collect those bees and sample them right then and there. Now, what I typically do is I pull them off and I put them in a sampling bucket and then I go sample them on the other side and then I put any other excess bees in another pail and I take them out of the apiary. While you're there, you will likely find the bees at the top and other stuff down at the bottom. So you can use your hive tool to move the bees out of the way and you want to look at what's below. Now, if the colony was being robbed, they're gonna be coated with wax chips, but it's almost normal to see wax chips as the bees eat honey through this, the winter time in and amongst the bees. But what you really wanna do is look down at the detritus and determine whether or not you have varroa mites down there dead varroa mites. Now, mind you, they died in the winter, same time as the bees, and they've fallen and collected. So it's highly likely that as you move the bees away, you could just look down and you'll see tons of mites in and amongst the mix. If you see that, guess what? You had a mite problem. These are, this is really the number one way besides frass to determine whether your bees had a mite infestation. It's not mysterious here. You can physically see the mites in whichever one of these things by digging through the rubble or doing a mite wash. If it's above the threshold, guess what? Your mite program didn't work and you need to do something different. So don't ignore the bottom board. Make sure you take a look at that. Now, Sometimes people use screen bottom boards and they don't put screens in them. Meaning the slide in, they leave the board open. Other times ants and other things early in the spring get in there if you didn't get to it early enough. So just mind when you're looking what you may or may not see. But if you're leaving your screen bottom boards open, I'm not sure if that's a great idea. They weren't designed to be that way in the winter. And... If you can't find problems with mites and other things, then you might want to think about, did the temperature and the cold actually kill the bees? It's not something very normal, but, you know, they can only heat so much. And if they're cold and they run out of energy, they're going to perish. So look at your bottom board. Did you, oops, forget to put the slide in? That's something you should be gandering at while you're there. So you've done it. You've gone from the outside to the top to the bottom. Now you have all your evidence. You can step back, take a break, and start to look through your notes and see if you can make an initial determination. Think about it critically and make a hypothesis. And all the things that kill bees, moisture, cold if it's the right condition, mites, of course, lack of a queen, disease, poor house, meaning bad comb and 
you know, they were trying to survive on foundation or things like that. Ask me how I know about that. You know, sometimes I, I see different colonies that perish from beekeepers who I go to help, but then I have my own. One of my colonies that I took apart this year, I have to admit, as fastidious as I am about the comb, it was a late put together thing thrown with whatever I had available. And, in, and the comb was actually pretty crappy. I was embarrassed by that. Won't do that again. So now's the time, since it's all fresh and you have the evidence in your notes, to start to, to make a determination, make your initial play. Now, ultimately, you're going to go back, process your pictures, and you have to look at them on a computer. Take them off of your phone, move them to a large computer screen where you can zoom in and move through them, and look at the pictures again. And then after you look at all of your photographs... Then sit down and make a formal assessment and figure out why the highs died. That's also following your mite checks and making notes of what you found on the bottom board. So evaluate the findings, make a determination or a hypothesis. Chances are you're going to find enough evidence to know why the hive died. And then I want you to do one thing with all of that. If your colony perished for this, that, or the other thing, Make a mental note of what the dead colony looked like based on the death. So that in the future, when you start opening colonies that are dead outs, you can kind of see if there's a like pattern to that. And make the association right off the bat. Well, this thing died of X because I've seen this before. Now, every one of them is an individual case, and you should check it. But yeah, I've found over the years consistently that if you find bees heads down in the cell and you look at the signs of what resources they had available to them, they died of starvation. So as soon as you open up something and you start going through and you get to frame three, four, five, and you find bees in the cells, you should start thinking, what are the resources in this hive and why didn't I feed it or what happened to it? So it's a two-step process. You're going to do your evaluation right there on the spot, and then you're going to do it a little bit later when you have more evidence to come through. And, you know, you should ultimately, hopefully, have notes on every hive that you have, and you're going to write a final chapter for that particular hive and make some notes about that so that you can refer back to it later. If you have other dead outs, you can look at observations and see if you find the same things. Not a cheery way to end the whole CSI piece. So let's go to a better topic, which is recovery and reusing the resources that the bees left to you. So from a recovery standpoint, if you think about where I was when I got done with my work, I was at the bottom board. And before I put everything back together, I start with the bottom board. At the bottom board, I scrape it off. I put all the debris into a container that I'm going to take away from the apiary. I make sure the bottom board is sound and fit for purpose and I put it right back on the stand. The next thing I want to assess is all the resources that are available there. And before I go into the actual process, I want to say one thing about what I did. I had a couple hives. They had a combination of good comb, comb that I don't want to use anymore, bad comb, honey resources, and 
there was some pollen in some of these that I think would be okay. I decided I was going to pull all that stuff, organize it by its type, and therefore I planned and brought out extra boxes. I had one of those metal benches, the fold-up kind, the real temporary ones. They're really handy in your apiary. We got them uh, on Good Friday, or no, not Good Friday, Black Friday sales. And I keep two of them out in the apiary, and I set a bunch of boxes up. When I countered a frame of honey that was capped both sides, I put it in the honey box. When I found a frame that I liked that I would use again of broodcomb, I put it in the broodcomb box. If I found pollen, I put it in the pollen box. I started with the bottom board and cleaned that off. I took the frames out of the bottom box and I cleaned the bottom box. I cleaned the interior walls and I cleaned the frame rests. Then systematically, I put each one of the frames back, cleaning the bottom, the sides, the top bars, the shoulders, scraping all the errant comb off and anything, looking at the comb and deciding if it was going to go in the pile that went on the cart to go back to the garage to be cut out, or if it was going to go in one of my triage boxes. Through the bottom box, done. Through the top box, done. And then on to the next hive. When I finished one of the boxes and I had enough regular comb, not the honey, I put comb in it, in the box. So let me explain that. I have a pad with two 20 frame boxes. In that, I loaded only comb that I'm going to use for brood in the future. And then I closed it up and I taped it off. The next 20 frame box, if I amassed 20 frames of honey capped, I put that in there. My criteria is it had to be fully capped. And yes, when you put a hive out for winter, 60 to 80 pounds, you're going to find quite a bit of capped honey. That box is sitting over there in the apiary with honey in it. Now it's still cold. I taped the box off. I'm not worried. But obviously, honey, you're not going to leave sit there all year long. You're going to have to do something with that. But for right now, in this operation, that's what I did. In the brood box, I only found two or three frames of pollen that I wanted. I stuck those in there and closed them off. Now, there was some frames that had partial honey. They had a honey across the top. They had the sugar that dried in there from feeding the bees too late. All of those I put in another box. I had four dead outs to do. And I left that one open. I figure the bees will rob that one and I'm okay with that. In the early season, the robbing frenzy is not too crazy and they can discover that and basically clean it out. After they clean that out, if they get to it, then I'll have another box of drawn comb ready to go to put into service to make nukes for splits and swarm traps and whatever else I have to do. Out of the four boxes, I ended up with three filled with comb and one that I took back to the cart, taken back to the garage to cut up. Funny aside, Kevin moment, uh, 
there was one of those frames that I brought back to our breezeway. It had a little bit of honey on it, and the raccoon found it. <laughs> it pulled it out of the box and chewed the honey section out of it, and now there's a big hole in it. I was going to get rid of it anyway, but it had a little vestige of honey in there, and they enjoyed that, apparently. End of Kevin moment. So I felt good about this because... I'm going to reuse all that comb. And yeah, there were a handful of wonky combs. Uh, when I say wonky, like the bees would build down one side and they'd attach to the other side. And sometimes they, you know, if there was space, they'd build errant stuff. There were some that weren't built out very well. There were some that had big holes across the bottom. There were some that had, you know, a melon sized patch of drone brood in and amongst all of the worker brood. It's a perfect time of year, dead out or not, to cull all that stuff, pull it out, and I will cut it all out, and I have foundation in the wings for that. So from a recovery standpoint, I feel good about the excess resources. If I'm ever scrambling and I want to put together a nuke because I see something that has queen cells where I get a swarm call or whatever, I can run right to those boxes and take care of that stuff. Now, recently I came by way of a freezer and eventually what I'll probably have to do is whatever I don't distribute back to the bees this spring in my operation, I will probably have to freeze the honeycomb so that it'll last into summer and then I'll feed it back to the bees. There's something rather therapeutic about finishing this work and getting everything set up and feeling prepped there's so many times when you get to the spring where you could really use some drawn comb. And lo and behold, I have boxes of it sitting right there in the apiary. So I think I'm pretty good about that. Now, if I leave it there all year, <laughs> that's not going to work because the wax moths are going to find it and there's no bees to protect it and they're going to eat it. So obviously, just to say this out loud to anybody, this is a temporary endeavor but for right now in the early spring before I get out there and work in, in the apiary every weekend, I think it's perfectly suitable since we're still having cold 40 degree nights, 30 degree nights here in New Jersey to leave this in place and then address it as the season breaks out. Odds and ends on the process. It's never easy to lose bees, but it is somewhat cathartic to figure out why the bees died and then it actually invigorates you to you know come up with a plan if something didn't go right then you could make adjustments in your operation and there is something about starting a new season with a sobering effect of looking through a colony that didn't survive and promising you'll do better by the bees the next time around Sometimes there's just not much you can do about it, and other times it's painfully obvious where you've done things wrong and you need to correct the situation. And beekeeping is an ever-learning, ongoing experience of trying to figure things out. So, from a recovery standpoint, uh, there's always opportunity to use all the stuff that you're going to find there. And we're going to go into a couple of questions here about can you reuse certain things? Let me run that down. If you have brood comb and the brood comb has the spots, the holes, signs of a lot of frass, 
the brood comb is old, get rid of it. Don't cherish it, get rid of it. If the frames display a little bit of mold on them, they're going to be okay. You can put them back in service. The bees will clean up that wax and it should be okay. Now, I don't know. There's been some that have been super moldy, like the whole face is moldy and so on. I I don't think it's bad for the bees, but sometimes I just think, well, maybe I'll just cut that one out. But if it has a little patch here, a little patch there, it's really not that big of a deal. If you have comb that has dead bees in the cells, it's okay to put that back into the bees. They will clean them out and you will never know the difference after a short period of time. And there's so much energy that goes into building the comb that don't be squeamish about that. Go ahead and use them. In tomb pollen, we talk about that. Get rid of it. Anything that has a lot of mite frass in it, where there's been a lot of varroa infestation, I'm going to just say this out loud, and then you do as you feel. There's been some commentary that when there's a large varroa infestation, there's... Yeah, they vector viruses and other things go on when mites are present in the cells. And there's a school of thought that that stuff gets into the wax now. Is it possible that your wax is contaminated when you see a lot of mite frass is the one question you might ask yourself. Well, the one thing to remember is all of this stuff's been frozen over winter. And whatever is in there may or may not have survived. And chances are you don't have a problem. If you had any signs of European foul brood or sickness in your colony that you were trying to clean up. And for whatever reason, this is the colony that didn't make it. I would get rid of that stuff. Obviously, American foul brood we talked about. But if the mites were overwhelming to the colony... I don't know. Most people take brood frames and stick them right back in. I just kind of look at them and go with my instinct. You'll have to develop that on your own. But if you had problems, and there are times when you see, it's not very common, but it happens, European foul brood outbreaks in the spring, and then the colony just never really fully recovers, I would not reuse that stuff. I would get rid of it. You can clean up a European foul brood, but if your colonies are dying over winter and they had European foul brood in the season, I would get rid of it. Every once in a while you get to a frame that has some wax moth damage. You'll find some webbing. Most of the time that's not a big deal. If the damage is extensive, you know, something bigger than a baseball, then you might want to cut that comb out and have them start over again. I've seen dead hive beetles in hives. It's very uncommon for a hive to die in winter where it got slimed and it had hive beetle problems. But if you obviously had hive beetle problems, then you would discard that comb, start over. I can't think of anything else that you might find in the comb, but you know, if it looks dodgy, you put a piece of foundation in and the bees will build it out. You put plastic in the bees will build it out and if you're not happy with the comb the bees might not be happy with it just go look from your operation and call it a day
So, I think that's the bottom of the pile. That's quite a bit, of course. But um, I wanted to be thorough and just have an episode dedicated to this task so that if you had to, you could refer back to it. I want to do a short local hive report before I roll out. And let me go ahead and do that. And you'll understand why that has uh, a direct tie to what we've been discussing. So local hive report autopsy edition. What did I find in my hives this year? One hive, I don't want to say it's starved, but I did see signs that it had dried sugar in it. And I think that uh, it just didn't do really well. I had made a statement on one of the initial previews of two of my eight frame colonies that the colonies perished because the queens were bad. I'm going to take that back for one of them. And I'm going to soften that for the other one. Uh, retelling the story, I reared queens last year late with Bob Kloss. And unfortunately, it just wasn't a good go. Not to reopen that all again, but the colonies got a late start. They never really took off very well. They were moderate populations. And, you know, they, they were a little dodgy going into winter. Given they had a late start, I fed them really late, and I did find in three of the four hives colonies that had dried sugar in the cells, which is a sign to me that I fed them too late. I want them to convert that stuff. I typically finish feeding by the time October 31st comes around Halloween, and it was a little bit warmish in the beginning of November, so I pushed the limit, and I shouldn't have done that. Why do I share that? Because I don't know if there were moisture problems in the hives that could have been a detriment to the bees in early December because all of that liquid that was in there never got fully dried out and converted to funny honey for storage and food. If I think about it, now I will share the aha moment. I put into service two eight-frame polystyrene hives. They're new in my operation, and I had been contemplating this winter whether a hive required a top entrance. Customarily, I always put some form of small entrance at the top in the front of all of my hives for airflow. It's not too dissimilar to the common wisdom that you should put a rock or a stick or something underneath your roof in order to allow some air to escape at the top of your hive to create some form of airflow movement and limit moisture problems. I wanted to try something with the polystyrene hives. I had seen some of the work from Etienne Tardif and talking about how heat circulated in the bottom entrance and been in conversation with other beekeepers, so I decided I was not going to provide an upper entrance. The only airflow was going to come and go out of the small channel down at the bottom. In my autopsy, looking at it, when I took the roof off the hive, I noticed that the bees were clustered up in the top, pretty conventional, and it was a fairly big cluster. It spanned the gaps between two and three, three and four, and partially in four and five. That tells you how big that the one was on pad number seven. When I pulled the top box, 
I found dead bees on the top of the frame in a strange order. They were along the front edge, on top of the top bars, along the left side, along the back edge, and along the right side, making an outer perimeter of about inch and a half to two inches of dead bees across the top bars. Also, what I found is a massive amount of bees down on the bottom in this one colony that I'm talking about. Why do bees die to the outside perimeter of a hive like that? It was a strange thought. But as I looked through the hive, I could see on the comb and the way the bees looked. And also, I should note, I had a broodminder in here, so I know when this colony perished, and it was late in the season. They probably died of moisture problems. Moisture built up inside the hive around the outside perimeters to the exterior of the colony and eventually all the bees in the periphery got wet somehow and fell off and died around the outside edges. I don't know that's 100% accurate, but if I read the tea leaves of what I saw, given all the evidence, and again, I'm not going to drain the well here, but that's what I'm guessing. Had I never done autopsies on these two hives, and by the way, the one sitting next to it had the same condition, not as extensive, but same thing. It had the ring. Now the other colonies, there was just spatter of bees across the frames, no particular pattern, not very big clusters. The queens were in every one of the clusters. I could see them. They died of mites, given the signs that I saw. The two polystyrene hives, I learned something. First season with them, season of learning. In the future, I'm going to make what I do with my 10-frame poly and my 6-frame polys. I use an emery shim style device with a notch and give them a notch on the inner cover. I will never do a fully sealed hive with a polystyrene hive. Now, in talking with folks after learning this and, and sharing that idea with them, one of the things is maybe the moisture doesn't go out, wick out of a hive like this, like it would in a wooden hive, and it held the moisture. I think that's a good thing and a bad thing in winter, but if too much, obviously you don't want the bees to get wet. Had I not done my autopsies on these two hives, I probably would have done the same thing next year, thinking it was the right thing to do. Live and learn. Live and learn. It kills me to uh, have a colony go down, and it might have possibly been my fault. But had I not taken the time to learn, I could have repeated the mistake next year. And so from now on, I will have an upper entrance on these. I'm not afraid to put these hives in service. I'm, I think they will do really well uh, with that adjustment. I have one more hive sitting out there that I have not done the autopsy on. I'm going to go through that one probably next weekend and we'll see what that one brings. I know that my Apivar treatments last year were not very effective and I was a little late in getting my fall treatment on and I think my bees were not as healthy as they should have been in these colonies that didn't make it through. So the other lesson is be more assertive and don't use Apivar. At least that's my take on the world. I'm going to try something different this year. Again, something learned from doing my checks and also from 
doing an autopsy and seeing that your bees died from varroa mites. On one of the bottom boards, when I cleaned it off, it looked like if you took a salt shaker and shook it over top of your spaghetti, there were varroa mites peppered all over the bottom board. That was very disheartening. And the bad news was I had treated late with my... Now, I treated all summer with Apivar and then noticed the mites were bad and put Formic Pro on late in the fall. When I pulled the boxes apart, there were still Formic Pro pads in there because I never took them out before I closed the hives down for winter. And yet down on the bottom, there were varroa mites all over. Now, maybe the Formic Pro killed them early or maybe they didn't. I don't know. But the bottom line was there was quite a bit of varroa on the bottom board. I think I'm going to end it there. I hope, I know this was long, sorry, but I hope you learned something from it. And if you had anything that you do that I didn't think of, send me a note, kevin at bkcorner.org. I'm curious to learn from others about how you do your things. And good luck in uh, figuring out what's going on in your CSIs and do put them to good use. Uh, over the years, you will learn quite a few things and will correct your operation and you'll be a better beekeeper for it. Like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, they can accomplish great things. Thanks for listening, everybody, and take care.